Today's guest is Dr. Malika Grayson. Dr. Malika is the founder of Steminist Empowered LLC, an organization focused on the empowerment of women of color who pursue graduate degrees, and they help by reviewing personal statements and giving mentorship. Currently, Dr. Malika is a computer systems architect at Northrop Grumman, where she is a program manager. Over the past few years, she has worked in systems engineering, software development, as well as R&D portfolio management and strategy. Dr. Malika is also a Fortune 100 global speaker and a best-selling author who has given dozens of workshops and keynotes. Her best-selling book, Hooded, A Black Girl's Guide to the PhD, has been featured in a number of publications and books. Her keynotes and workshops are based on her experiences in academia and industry, and they are focused on topics such as networking for mentoring, canceling imposter syndrome, and diversity, inclusion, and representation in STEM. Welcome, Dr. Malika Grayson. So glad you're here. Thank you. Excited to be here. Happy to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. I'm really excited for our conversation today. We actually connected at the virtual NSBE conference back in 2020. Shout out to NSBE National Society of Black Engineers. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Region 6, whose house. <laughs> <laughs> I remember reaching out to you immediately after your session because, like, even though we were, you know, sitting behind screens and we actually were uh, behind avatars as well, you know, I could feel your presence and your power and the impact of your journey. And I'm just looking forward to taking some notes today. So really excited to have you as well. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I remember Nesby. I remember all my technical struggles and tribulations. So I, I was so happy that everybody hung up with me and we had a great session, great conversation. And the, the chat was booming. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yes. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and dive in today with our intellectual capital segment. This is a discussion of a Black scholar's research, academic journey, or current events in the professional world. And today we are going to hear about Dr. Malika's research. So first question is, what is the topic of your research and how did you become interested in it? Well, I am from Trinidad and Tobago, and I was actually interested in my research because of where I'm from, right? My research focused on wind energy and wind in the built environment particularly I call it urban wind, and essentially what can we do to generate our wind energy in a built environment. Imagine that you live in a city with a bunch of skyscrapers, let's think in New York or any other city, and the higher you go, you know, the higher your wind velocity is. And, and wind velocity, when we say wind velocity, we just mean the, the speed and the direction of the wind coming in. And what if we could take small-scale wind turbines? So when we imagine wind turbines, we imagine wind turbines in the middle of nowhere, rural environment, and there's nobody around, right? And they're huge. How could we take that and bring it on a smaller scale level to put it on the rooftops of, of buildings so that that particular building can actually generate their own electricity? That was the idea behind my, my research. and. Because I'm from the islands, you know, we have what we call the, the Caribbean breeze. And our main capital, Port of Spain, is actually on one of the, the shorelines. It's, it's right there. You see the, the sea and you see, you feel that breeze. And so you're looking at the wind, you're feeling the wind and you're kind of looking at that 
wind rose and a wind rose, it, it helps you measure the, the speed and the direction and you can visually see it. So when you look at that and you look at islands and you see that it's coming from all different directions, why not bring that to the city areas that are near coastlines? So that was the, the idea behind my research and, and what essentially got me interested in it in the first place. I love when engineers say stuff because I'd be like, I'm not even thinking about the wind. Like, I rolled out my window. And I'm like, oh, there's a breeze. <laughs> and an engineer is saying, like, what if we can put this in a bottle and turn it into energy? Right. <laughs> I swear engineers think different. Exactly. That's essentially what it was, right? Just what if we could do something like that? And, you know, there's been this whole battle if you, you follow any of the renewable energy issues that we see where people are like, oh, no, because wind energy is not consistent, which it's not, right? Especially when it comes to certain times of the year, you get no breeze. And mm -hmm. no breeze, no wind means no turbine is turning. And so it's something that's it's still considered unreliable. And you see that a lot of cities, a lot of countries are still not really sold into it. But we have some states that actually do it. We do have a few countries, especially in the European countries, they, they do that, right? They, a big portion of their electricity comes from wind energy and they subsidize it with solar panels. And so we just have to think about that. But really, it's like, that's why I love being an engineer because you really have to think differently. And it's just how your mind works. It's like, oh, how can I take this small box over here and, and make a little boot house or something random? Those are the kind of things I think about when I'm planting my little herbs outside. I also think about what it would do for the economies for like in in island, like on islands, right? In island communities for solar or wind powered energy to just be available, even if it wasn't the only source, but it seems like it might actually be cheaper, right? And what would that do for those people who, you know, maybe don't don't have a whole lot of money? Exactly. Especially in those, you have a lot of those rural areas that are on coastlines and they struggle a lot, either, as you said, Dr. Jackie, because they don't either have the resources. So why not try to invest in that area? And quite frankly, in the Caribbean, the sun is so hot, we could also throw some solar panels anywhere. And, and that's something I think they can work hand in hand. But it's something I'm, I'm still very much, even though I, I don't study wind energy anymore, it's something very much, if anybody from the Caribbean ever said, look, I want someone to help me make this happen, I'm there. All right. I hope they hear this podcast then and they call you. <laughs> All right. So I guess this kind of leads to the next question is, what did you find when you did your, your study? and what do you want people to do as a result of those findings other than, of course, call you so that you can you can do it, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, what I found is that you have to really think outside the box because especially when I was looking into the wind energy and looking into urban environments, immediately somebody thinks about the fact that you can't do that in an urban environment because you have too many buildings. It's too rough. And when we think about Wind, when we think about all those wind turbines we've seen in the rural environment, the reason why it works is because they're, they're on a bunch of buildings. There isn't anything in the way obstructing the wind, slowing it down, right? But what if we were able to 
move up and get out of that construction zone or that obstruction zone? What if we were able to design the building so that it speeds up the wind? And one of the findings that came out of my research was that if you look at that wind rose that I mentioned before, and you look to see where the wind has the highest speed and where it's coming in terms of direction, you can actually design your building when you're thinking about the plan. So this this goes back to like architects and and when they're even in that design process, when you think about that that end to end and design my building so that it has a slope. Design my building so it has a little bit of curve so that when we think about it's tall and it has that abrupt square, we don't want the square. We want to make sure that it, it has the slope, it's curved so that the wind is able to smoothly transition to the rooftop and then, of course, hit those wind turbines. So that was something interesting. I was actually able to design a small-scale building that I used in my wind tunnel experiments. And I, so I looked at three different designs and essentially came up with an optimal design using modeling and simulation to be able to figure out if this were something that we had to come up with from scratch, this is what the building should look like. So who wants to give me millions of dollars to build it, basically? So that was something. And I think the takeaway for people is, and this is just in general, not just wind energy research, is that think outside of the box, think outside of the the guardrails a little bit, right? And be open-minded because even though I was able to have those findings, you also now have to get people who are open-minded to seeing the long-term investment. And I think often we, as engineers or as researchers, we understand what it means to invest in an idea, knowing that it's for long-term, but we are against the green a little bit where everybody really thinks in that short-term mindset. So having people get the takeaway of any type of research, it's long-term, it is really important. I think that's an interesting point you bring up because if I think about most successful business people, highly successful leaders in most industries, like they're really good at asking the question, like, what if, right? I was just talking to this about this with someone and asked the question, what if all the time? And I think that, you know, what if actually allows you to collaborate with folks more often, get a variety of different perspectives, but a lot of times people are afraid to ask that question, what if? <laughs> and that often starts some people's journeys, just that simple question. So I think that that's uh, something that I thought of, you know, as we're sharing. Exactly. So I just also wanted to add that dissertations are typically on ProQuest. So if you are a person that is thinking about implementing Dr. Malika's plans to create urban wind power, you can look up her dissertation on ProQuest and do your homework first so that she can go ahead and start from, you know, step two instead of getting you caught up with what she can do. So do that first and then call her and then give her millions of dollars. Exactly. (laughs) I'll even, even if you aren't trying to get the millions of dollars, I'll say that it's always good to cite a Black researcher because, you know, we didn't write these papers for nothing. Sure didn't. We're adding to the knowledge base, right? And so... Yeah. As you just shared, right, you tap into architecture, you tap into urban city planning, you tap into engineering. So come get this work. Exactly. Those 200 pages just chilling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just chilling. We all know that feeling. (laughs) 
<laughs> sure do, sure do. I was really excited to start reading your book, right? Hooded, A Black Girl's Guides to PhD. In the opening pages, in the first chapter, there were two themes, I would say, that came through for me. The idea of community and then the concept of like visibility versus invisibility, right? And I'm going to quote you here, right? But you said, being the only Black person in a sea of so many white bodies left me with the notion that I needed to do more than just do well. I needed to excel. And then you also said, at the same time, you had gone from being one of the top students in your undergrad department to being someone who wished to be invisible every time you stepped into the classroom. So I think that that quote really speaks to our community capital segment the idea of a a person's academic and educational journey. So I wanted to uh, step back for a second, take our hood off for a second and and start from the very beginning of your your pathway and your journey to where you are. Yeah, you know, I my journey, I love sharing this story about my journey because I think there isn't, when we go through, when we we all set out on a journey, you you always have this thought process of this is what's going to happen. And then so many of the, curveballs come your way. As I mentioned, from Trinidad, I I actually wanted to be a doctor when I was five years old. And that was like the thing. My my aunt, she was a registered nurse. She was great. She was like the first uh, registered nurse kind of doctor, Grayson, in our family. And I was like, I want to be like that. So I'm going to be a doctor. And it just, me and biology, you know, we, we didn't mesh. And I had to let that go. But as I let that go, I realized that I really, really enjoyed looking at things around the house, right? Seeing how appliances worked. I liked to take everything apart and put it back together. It was almost like a puzzle piece. And I really, really started getting invested in that. And I didn't know what that translated to. So I know that I like to tinker. And I knew that I, I, anything that was broken, I want to try to fix it. And I want to prove to myself and prove to everybody that, oh, no, don't throw it away. I can make it happen. And so eventually, not being exposed to engineering and not knowing what engineering was, I eventually decided to pursue my undergrad in physics. And that's how I ended up with an undergrad in physics. And during my program, I was actually uh, registered to be in the 3-2 program. So most schools, depending on your undergrad, you can go to a... a school for three years where you get like something in pure sciences and then the the final two years you get a mechanical engineering degree or whatever engineering. So I was actually supposed to finish Adelphi after three years and then go to Columbia University and get my bachelor's in engineering, mechanical engineering, I believe. And I had my first undergraduate research experience at Georgia Tech. And first time going to Atlanta, first summer, it was so hot. But you know what? We going we just just gonna throw that in a bag somewhere. But it was so hot, and the traffic was horrendous. But it was one of the best experiences, and I have to say, that was seriously a pivot for me. That ten week experience changed the trajectory of my life, and the reason it did is because I was able to see firsthand what it meant to be a researcher, what it meant to be a graduate student what it meant to see someone who looked like me being a graduate school and being a PhD student. So my my mentor, he was actually from Jamaica and he mentored me in the lab. 
And I remember thinking, I had never thought about even pursuing graduate school, right? Coming from a small island, I'm just trying to get my degree, go back home, get a job. That was what I had in my head, get the education, go back. You know, I'm we're kind of raised in that way. You go, you get the education, you do what you're supposed to do, you come and you get a good job, you keep working. So he really made me believe and believe in myself and have that confidence that I could pursue my PhD because I want to know more, not just about physics, about engineering. I want to see that the pure science being applied to real life. And got back to Delphi and I told my professor who had already like, okay, yes, everybody three, two, getting ready. I was like, uh, you know, I don't think I want to do that anymore. And he said, what do you want to do? I said, I, I want to do my PhD, but I just don't know if I can. And he said, you, you can, and you should apply. And I applied to a bunch of schools, didn't know where I wanted to go. I had a really hard time deciding. And that's how I ended up at, at Cornell University. So transitioning from physics to mechanical engineering, that was a struggle. And it took a lot of sacrifice. And anybody out there who's trying to transition from one focus area to another, they, they know or you know what that is like. And it takes a little bit of homework or a lot of homework before you can really feel confident in that new area or new focus area. And I had to, I found myself sitting in classes with people who were younger than me, right? Who would have essentially been people I would have been teaching if I was at the level I was supposed to be. And then I had a very hard time actually choosing a research area. So I didn't just wake up one day and decided wind energy was that thing. I actually went my first year researching something, a topic I did not enjoy. I said nothing about it. And I talk about this a little bit in my book where I chose this topic. I sat down for the entire summer, struggled, did not like it. And then when my professor said, okay, great. So how was it? I said, you know, I actually didn't like it. And he wished I had said something early on in the experience. So it's, so the point of that is that the path isn't always linear, which I think we all know, but it's, we always see the, the end goal and, you know, the roses and everything, but it's okay to take a step back. It's okay to adjust that you have to be flexible. You have to be able to pivot. You have to be able to switch it up. And so I switched from the physics to mechanical engineering, not being able to find a research question to eventually talking through and finding that research question. So that was kind of my educational experience. I didn't have any internships when I was an undergrad. This is something else I also tell some of the interns that I, I mentor at my job. I didn't have an internship. And so it doesn't, if you don't have an internship, it doesn't make you any less of an engineer or somebody who has to get into graduate school than it would anybody else, right? It's not just about that. I also didn't have much lab experience because I came from a school that didn't have engineering. So I came from a more of a liberal arts kind of school and I went into an engineering program. So all these things are, I think, are what made my journey what it was because it made me well-rounded. It made me a lot more adaptable in terms of getting into a lab and, and being able to adjust. And then, of course, later on, I had some of those major things happen, like my advisor passed away. And, and that really was a huge part of my educational experience, you know, that path, especially in my, my fourth, I think it was the end of my third year, going into my fourth year and then beyond. And kind of what I think helped me in terms of community impact today, right? Because that moment just really changed things. Yeah. You know, speaking of community impact, right? We're big on 
our social capital, right? The show is all about, you know, building our, our networks and our social capitals so that we can not only help ourselves, but help others. And so can you talk a little bit about what network is, is like from different from undergrad to graduate school? I know that there's a, a pivot there. You talked a little bit about finding your space to belong and creating space for yourself and having the weight of uh, being one of one. So talk about how you built community for yourself. And I think that would be helpful for folks. Yeah, that's a great question. Especially in undergrad, I was very much focused on trying to make it to graduation. And I think my mindset was the same thing going into grad school. The first semester, I remember, okay, I'm going to get in, go to class, go to the room, do my homework, and keep it moving. But in undergrad especially, I think because what really helped me was that this school wasn't a huge school. It didn't have thousands and thousands. Like I remember going to Cornell, and Cornell had, what, 20,000 people on campus. Crazy. I think Adelphi maybe had a few thousand, if that. And so the, the group of people I would see, my classes were really small in terms of maybe I had 20 people, right? My physics department, maybe 25 of us. Of course, that has grown. But at the time, it, it wasn't that, that many people who were doing that major. And once I, I started, my mom actually came with me when I first got to Adelphi. She came up from Trinidad and she sat in our freshman orientation and she sat next to one of the, I think she was the assistant dean of the School of Education at Adelphi. And she told my mom, don't worry, mom, she's going to be fine. We're going to take care of her. And that individual, she gave me a job like my second week of school. And that for me really helped me. It was the beginning of growing my network because it had nothing to do with physics. There was no background, but here I was creating a community with something completely new with a bunch of professionals, right? A bunch of professors who were school of education and they were interested in who I was, they were interested in my background, my goals, my career. And I've always been kind of a side hustle. So I always wanted to be a hall attendant. I'm like, okay, I need to pay my T-Mobile bill. So I became a hall attendant and I grew a network there because I, I met people and I've always wanted to try to participate. Once I get comfortable into a space, I'm like, okay, let me go to this meeting. So I joined the Black Students United, the Caribbean, Caribbean Culture Association at the time. And then it's funny because I don't like to just be a member and sit and do, any, do nothing. I have to volunteer and do something. And I started volunteering. I started volunteering there. I started doing more at the School of Education when I was working. And with the physics club, and then eventually my the network, it was more of, a, more of a family. My Adelphi family, my college family continued to grow and grow. And they became people who, so I was the only like, kind of physics major within my group of friends. So they would be the people who would stay up with me to study, right? They would really kind of keep me company. And, and to this day, I have their support. We've been friends all this time. And it led me to kind of found like different initiatives at, at a school. I think I, it was Females of Culture United for Success. Just because when I saw that there wasn't a gap, so a lot of times we, we want to network and like, well, I don't know how to network or where do I look? And if there is a space that isn't filled, this is an opportunity for you to contribute. And so that opportunity for me to contribute was to 
start this group called Females of Culture United for Success because that was a gap that I saw. All right, let's take a break. Zora Neale Hurston said, those that don't got it can't show it. Those that got it can't hide it. Show that you got it with the merch we have in the Black Social Capital store. We've got statement tees, totes, and even a journal. I like to rock my scholar practitioner tee with the blazer. Visit our store at staymotivatedandrisetogether.com slash shop. And we're back. I think that that's a perfect suggestion because people do have questions about like, where and how do I network? I'm like, technically, you're already doing it. But like, that's a tangible piece right there. It's like, you see something, say something, then do something, right? So I think that that also leads into, you know, this thought about invisibility versus visibility. And like, how do we take advantage of of those interchanging two things? So I know your book is specifically a, a Black girl's guide to the PhD. Tell us a little bit about where you see, you know, space and gaps in STEM for women, Black women specifically. And like how you've created some network there. Yeah, that's a great question. It's easy to, not easy, but I think the way we approach filling gaps and the way we we network as students versus undergrad students versus a graduate student versus a professional is different, right? And like I just told you the story about my undergraduate networking experience and it just takes a step and you're going to have the support of probably, you know, the the student-centered department or that group of student activities. And then you go to grad school and you see the spaces that are missing again. You're like, well, what do I do? And how do I network? And what's missing? And how do I fill that gap? And so you kind of do the same thing. You pull that thread that you did in undergrad and, and you continue to do that. And that's what I did, right? So in undergrad, in grad school, it was more than just what was happening on campus. It was also what was happening in the community. And so one of the biggest things for me was making sure that my STEM identity was part of everything that I did. And it was also part of the way I contributed. So that meant going into the community and seeing where those gaps were. And one of the gaps was, for example, the Nesby Junior chapter. It was inactive for many years. It's just that no one had taken the time or maybe there was a, a, a gap or a lack of kind of communication. And so I worked with the, the principal and we got that back up and running, right? And that was the first part where I saw, okay, I'm seeing these gaps when it comes to STEM, not just STEM for women, right? Or STEM for Black women, but STEM for, for minority groups, STEM for the younger students, because you have to start the pipeline early. So that was, that was the thing for me. And in that, it's just like any small activity you do, any small approach, you create a community, you create a network when you do that. And so that whole, the grad experience, it really helped me just once I was participating in like diversity programs in engineering, that was another like thing I did. And I think all those things really helped give me comfort, right? Because I felt invisible at in certain areas of my life. And because I felt invisible in certain areas of, of my life, it made me almost work twice as hard in the areas that gave me comfort, the areas that gave me joy to feel as if I was not just being visible, but having an impact. So once I did that, that helped my journey. And that's kind of what helped me along. Now you get to professional set in, and you walk in and it's a completely different experience, right? So I, I walked in 
I'm like, oh gosh, where, where, where do people look like me at? And that first year, I think maybe my, I must have not said anything of my, the first couple months of my job. I don't even know if they knew that I spoke. They probably didn't even know what I sounded like because I would just, I would sit in the meetings and, you know, my mind shut it and say, oh, like, do you have anything? Oh, no, just listen. I have to, you have to kind of take it in. Then eventually I started to try to figure out, okay, how do I continue what I've been doing, mm-hmm. right? How can I continue to find the gaps and not feel lost in a company that at that time had 75,000 people? Now we have 90,000 people. So how do mm-hmm. you feel like you are still you and not just part of this whole army of people? So I, that's what I started going on the outside with the community and finding ways to do that, finding ways, the gaps when it came to where is that representation for that Black woman in STEM in these communities? And mm-hmm. how can I lend my voice to make sure that, that people see that? And that's how it, how it really started. And, and that is how I kind of bridged that gap from invisibility to visibility and, you know, the transition because I realize it's easy and I'm sure you, you both know it's easy to fit in the box of where you work or where you go to school and not come out of the box. You're trying to stay aligned, right? You don't want to shake the table and it, the, the box is there for a reason and you stay within the box and that's who you are and you, you keep your head down and you keep moving. Yeah, I think that is a really interesting concept that people their identity is really tied up in the schools that they've attended or the job that they currently have. And I think that this pandemic that we are trying to get out of, because I am not going to say we're post-pandemic, but this pandemic that we are trying to navigate our way out of has really made people realize that that's not necessarily what's most important, right? Like, where is my actual community? Who am I really? People are asking those really deep questions and I love it. So I actually want to talk about your career a little bit. Thank you for explaining how you've created opportunities for visibility for yourself and others um, through your education and then as you started your career. But tell us about that career path. How did you get to where you are and tell us about your current job? Yeah, after five years of doing lab modeling and simulation I didn't really want to do that at least not for a while and I was so tired of lab I was literally running from grad school by the time graduation rolled around and I didn't know what I wanted to do I really I was trying to figure out who I was you would think okay well you've done this for five years. So it's something you should continue doing. Absolutely. You spent all this time, but I don't think that's necessarily true. People change and what we want change and our interests change. And all I know was that I was interested in solving complex problems. Right. And, and when we, we get our PhD, that's, that's what we're doing. We're, we're problem solvers. People throw us into, into different situations because we can solve that problem and under pressure. And I wanted to learn more about what the industry was like and what was it like to actually work on a real life problem, not just a a hypothesis. So I actually, I went to a Nesby conference and I went to a sweet conference 
I went to both those those conferences and the career fairs, and I was actually uh, going to the career fairs, giving off my resume, and I went to this company, a defense contractor, and I remember thinking, well, I don't know if I really fit here. And they looked at my resume and they say, well, you know, we we I we don't have a position that really fits you, but I want you to come back the next day. And I I went back and. At this time, it was like a year and a half or something, I think, because Nesby's in March. So I was actually graduating the following, maybe two years down the road. And so I, I connected with that group, those group of people, and that was great. I went, so listen, I continued talking to them, went back to school. That was fine. I went back the following year, and the same people were there. And so that was the year. And this goes back to your network and making sure that you keep connections because you never know. And the same person was there, the recruiter was like a different recruiter, but somebody else from the, the first time. And he said, I want you to come back the next day. Went back the next day. And the next day they had the director of engineering there. And the director of engineering said, I want to have a conversation with you. And him and I, we sat down. It was like an informal interview. He asked me a few questions and he asked me what, what I had for him. And I said, I don't know if I really fit in this company. So you tell me, where do you see me mm. in this company? Like, where do I fit? And he said, you know, we have this really good rotational program. I think you'll be great at. And I said, mm, okay. And, you know, I was like, I'll think about it. So that's like a year and a half now. So I'm still really early, as you said, Dr. Jackie, I was really early. And he said, but keep in contact. That's that engineer's confidence, though. That's the engineer's confidence. They be walking. <laughs> like, I've got options. I've got. I've got options. You know, you you see a hundred companies like, eh. and because I didn't know, I didn't want to make. I didn't want to make a mistake. So I kept in contact, and I think it was like September, and I sent him an email and said, "Oh, you know, just FYI, I just booked a date for my defense. It's in a few months, and I'm I'm still looking around." He said, "I want you to apply for this program, and the program is the deadline is." next week i was like next week i had to go running around i know i almost didn't come i didn't go and then there was somebody who one of the other women in a, a lab that was down the hall from me and she said what does it feel to just apply just apply it's okay just do it and submit it i did it got an interview and then got offered the job like around thanksgiving and i entered this rotational program this rotational program is a three-year rotational program and I, I finished the rotational program 2019. But you move every year and you work on something different every year. You work with a different group every year. And so it's challenging because you have to make sure you, you network, right? This is where that formation of that network and making sure that your brand and who do you want to be? How do you want to make people feel? What effect do you want to have? So the, the experiences, all that comes into play. Because you just had that one year where you feel as if you can make that impact. And so I continued, I went from that year. And that was the first year where I said I probably didn't talk for the first two weeks. And then the second year, I got more comfortable. And I, I got the opportunity to work with like one of the CTOs. And then the third year, I, I think I really came into my own. And, and then once I graduated, I graduated. I, um, I started a... A role, and I just think as jobs as a bunch of rotations, right, in life. And this is now I'm out of the program, and I've been an apps portfolio manager for about two years now, and I'm actually transitioned into a new role 
come January. And in this role, I'm doing IT management. So I did systems engineering. I did research and development. I did software development versus coding. I did strategy, a little bit of um, business development. It is crazy. And now I've, I've done IT management for about two years. Now I'm going back to do project management in January. I would say the experiences for me, it's, it's not so much about what I've been doing, but the connections I make as well as being able to understand just the business, any industry that we're in, it's, it's like, wow, there's so much technology out here. I literally learn something new every day. And that's the biggest part of my job that I, I enjoy. When people ask me, what do you want to do? I say, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I enjoy working on, on hard problems. I enjoy learning something new. And as long as I can get into a role where that is possible, then for me, that's important. And one of the things I, I really struggled with was my identity. And you mentioned that earlier in terms of we get lost when we start, right? Our academic journey or professional journey, because you think that you're your job. And I talked about this the other day where you aren't your job. Is a small part of who you are. And I struggled a lot. I used I lived separate lives for a long time. Whereas Malika the engineer and then Malika the STEM advocate. And eventually I started integrating. And once I integrated, I don't know, it was like weight had world lifted off my shoulders. So it was a little bit about my professional experience and, and where I am right now. Mm, so can I just be honest? Like I feel like Dr. Theo understands what you just said a lot more than I do because he's married to an engineer. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the difference between what you do now and what you're going to be doing in January in your two different roles? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what I do now as an IT management, as an apps portfolio manager, think of your phone, right? And our phones, we have so many applications. And as an apps portfolio manager, my goal is to make sure that you are essentially aligning the applications that you have on your phone with the needs that you have. So if you don't need an app, why is it on your phone? So now let's scale that up to a big company. In companies, we have thousands of applications. We have a bunch of business needs and we need our needs aligned to certain capabilities. And then those capabilities need to align to the tools that we invest in. And so part of what I do is making sure that we are managing that portfolio so that it really aligns with our business needs. So that's what I do now. And then in January, you know, I am going to focus more on some of our projects that we have going on. That's a little bit, again, aligned to the, the mission of the company and the mission of our customers and, and really focus. It's a little bit more general. So it's not as focused on IT, but it's more mission focused and technology focused. Okay. Look. Look, see, you're making assumptions. So you don't know that the first rule that non-engineers have when talking to engineers is that when they start saying stuff that you don't understand, you just smile and nod. You're like, yeah. <laughs> that is a big problem. That should be solved. Go fix it. I'm glad you're working on that. <laughs> and then you just let them continue talking. And then and all funny. of a sudden, they'll, they'll get into their little circles and they'll be like, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll be having a good old time. I'll be over there. I'll be there for, at the Nesby for the party. So, you know, Nesby throw a good party now. So They um, do. They do. They do. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh-huh. I'll be at the next in-person one for sure. 
Yeah. I've always been that person that really wanted to understand, like when somebody says their job is X, Y, Z, like what does that mean that you do all day? And I have gotten in so much trouble trying to like really nail down like, so, but what is it like? What does your day look like? And I I don't know. know, People don't like, people do not like that question. So I try to tread lightly. Yeah, it's hard. When people ask me, what's my day to day? I said, my day to day is full of meetings. <laughs> meetings talking about meetings or meetings talking about problems that we need to solve. And, you know, so they're like, well, what do you do? I said, and it's so hard to explain, right? It's hard to explain because I'm usually meeting strategizing. How do we solve this problem? Okay, what's the problem we have now? Who do we need to talk to? And it's really logistics. And that's a little bit about like what project management is. And I'm making sure that the wheels keep turning. And that's that's essentially what I enjoy. I don't do technical work anymore. I always call it, I call it a cross between uh, strategy and project management. And, you know, I'm dipping my toes. So my toes in the technical work because I need to understand where we're trying to go in terms of the vision and, and that technology vision and, and mission. But I'm not on the computer writing the code or, or doing anything or building anything. Now, if you need me to, I could whip something up, but it's just something I, I prefer that kind of high level approach. As we wrap up, I had a, a question. I couldn't let us end without asking this question, but you've got your book, right? And mm-hmm. we've got our podcast. And I, I tell people often that it's uh, content creation now is very, very important. So I wanted to hear from you why you wanted to write a book, why you think it's important to share your story and encourage people to do the same. Yeah. I believe in knowledge is power. And I think it's very important for us to share our experiences. I don't know. Sometimes we think, especially in our community, within within the Black community, we think that we don't have to share or if we share it means that somebody's coming for a seat at the table because, oh, well, there's only one seat because it could only have one of us. And that's not true. And I think it's important that we tell our stories. I think it's important that we speak up and we continue to create a space, create an environment where others aren't just going to be able to thrive, but they're going to be able to be successful, right? They learn from our mistakes. They learn from our successes and and are able to take those to be even better. And the more of us that share a story, the more of the the pipeline and the ones that come behind us, the younger generation, are going to be able to feel confident. Like, I can't tell you how many times somebody said, I, you know, I read your book and I was thinking of come, jumping off my PhD program and everything you've described. I feel the exact same way right now when I don't know if I could have made it through the semester. And we want to make sure that we we go through the pipeline. We want to make sure that we get to the end. It doesn't matter whether it's the PhD program or whatever. But the whole point is for us to really feel as if you're represented in any type of industry and space. It takes sharing. And we have to continue to share with each other so that we continue to create the spaces for everyone so that we all have the seat at the tables. We create our own tables and we see that that true when it comes to diversity and you know because we talk about it we talk about we hear diversity equity and inclusion but what does it mean and we have to also do our part and my part is making sure that you know what you need to know to get to that next step so that you're in the room with me and I don't feel like oh I'm the only one because it's not a prize to be the only one it's not 
It's something that has to change. Ooh, some managers better write that down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about Steminist Empowered LLC. I just went to MalaikaGrayson.com and I see all of this information about you and your different ventures. What what should people know? Like who should be going to this website and looking at your services and events? And I think we should all be shopping there. Let me click on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Stamless Empowered, it was something that was born through the whole experience with Hooded and in the pandemic. The company only became a company in July. It's fun because it's really in a, the infancy stages of what do I want Stamless Empowered to be? What do I want Stamless Empowered to represent? And as we continue to grow, I love almost like doing as growing as I do or doing as a girl because. What we just did, we wrapped up our first cohort of mental for mentorship program we had, and it wasn't advertised. You wouldn't see it on the, the website because I wanted to make sure that I made it something intimate enough and really make sure that it was it was what people needed and wanted. And we had 11 Black women all going through their PhD program. They were part of the mentorship program. It was four months long. We met monthly as a group, and then every participant had monthly conversations with me and it was it was great we talked about imposter syndrome we talked about self-advocacy we had external speakers they talked about branding they talked about what it means to just be on the journey and entrepreneurship and that is part of what feminist empowered does right making sure that we empower the people empower not just women but empower people to go through the pipeline especially those who are pursuing the advanced degrees and it was just so special that this group was just 11 Black women going through their program. You know, it, it really made a difference because when I was going through, I could even find one within my program itself. So that's the most important. And then the other aspect is, of course, the, the speaking and the keynotes and the workshops. So throughout my experience, you know, I was able to, one of the things that led to Hooded was me having to reviewed personal statements. I reviewed about over 150 personal statements through over the past like four years. And now that's part of a workshop that we put on mastering personal statements. So I work a lot with like a couple of universities up here to put it on every January for them and a couple others in August. And then of course the the keynotes and the the different like imposter syndrome is one that we've we've done before. And um the keys to STEM success, which is one of my favorites. And then just the, the usual learning a little bit about me and my journey and, and how you can continue to, to just keep going. So that's, so Steminist Empowered is like Malaika, the mentorship, the personal statements, some education and a little bit of everything. And of course, some shopping. Yes, these shirts are cute. Let's go shopping. Okay. Well, I don't know if there is anything else you would like to let our listeners know, like how to find you. Is uh, MalaikaGrayson.com the best place to go? It is. It is the best place to go. You know, you can contact me there. You can fill out a form or it because it links directly to my email, which if you need me, that's there. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Malika Grayson. You can find me on Instagram at Dr. Malika Grayson, team with Twitter. So just search me and and I'm there. And so we can talk a little bit about 
mentorship. That's something that I love to talk about too. And I think I, I usually have a bunch of questions coming into my DMs about that. Well, we'll definitely put that in the show notes and probably your social medias as well. So if you think you can benefit from a relationship with Dr. Malika, you better get on it. Send those emails. And uh, I don't know how often you're on social media, but I see you got social media. So we're going to put it all on there. <laughs> yeah. Look, and as we get on out of here, I'm going to say this. Buy the book, buy the book, buy the book. Read the dissertation. Let somebody know that you know that's in the STEM space that they need to get in touch with Dr. Malika and Dr. Jackie. We're going to see him on the next one. Yep, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Malika. You are amazing. I'm so excited to see what's next for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, definitely buy the book. I'm working on my second book, so we'll see. Okay. I have a few ideas, but mentorship is definitely focused on mentorship and networking. And just so much that we've talked about today. So I'm really excited for that. Part two. Part two. (laughs) Yep, part two. (laughs) Bye, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember, the way we build social capital is to build self and build others. You're sure you got some notes on your tablet, computer, or even using a pen and paper. Leave us a review, continue the conversation on social media at Black Social Cap, and share the show with someone you know. Until the next episode, stay motivated and rise together. Black Social Cap.